Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com I'm Ben Kay and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. On this week's show, newly appointed Wales captain Jamie Roberts joined us in the studio to analyse the 2019 Rugby World Cup draw and look ahead to this weekend's European Cup finals. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insight and analysis from David Flatman, Sarah Elgin, Craig Doyle and our studio guest. Let's look at this week's news then, starting with a statement released this weekend by Leicester Tigers stating that Ben Youngs has pulled out of the British and Irish Lions squad to support his brother Tom, whose wife is suffering from terminal cancer. All of us here at BT Sports send Tom, his wife and all the Youngs family lots of love at what is a desperately, desperately difficult time for them. Greg Laidlaw will tour in Youngs place and this week we spoke to Conor Murray who said the following about Greg's call-up. I think with Scotland over the last few years since he's got the captaincy, um, it's just made him play better. Um, he just he's, he seems to marshal the, the team around the pitch. Um, really tactically aware. Has, a, has an unbelievable kicking game. His goal kicking is incredible. He's massive stats there, and um, he, he, he can he can threaten the line as well when he wants to. You know, he's, he, he seems to be a complete player. In other lines news, Ron Gatlin has reportedly cleared a clean bill of health over Dan Bigger's ankle. The coach insists Captain Sam Warburton, Conor Murray and Alleywyn Jones are fit to tour, despite recent injury problems. Of course, a great news there for them and for Gats looking ahead to next month. On to Premiership news now. And Sale Sharks have announced the signing of Springbok scrum half Fafta Clerk on a three-year deal. However, it's since the merger, there are some questions around his contractual obligations to the Emirates Lions. So we'll have to wait to see how that one pans out. Northampton Saints, though, well, they've also announced today the signing of another South African, Western Force prop, Francois Van Vick, and one of the Premiership old boys is coming back. Toby Flood is leaving Toulouse to rejoin the Falcons. The 31-year-old rejoins the side after nine years away. Has it been that long? Good news for the Falcons. And some good news, too, for Gloucester. They've announced the signing of Jason Woodward from Bristol, the club prepares for next season. And um, he had a good season, didn't he, for Bristol? So he'll be heading to uh, the shed. Maybe not standing in the shed, but he'll be playing in front of it. And to the Championship we go now as Yorkshire Carnegie will have home advantage in the first of the Champions Championship promotion playoff final against London Irish at Headingley on May the 17th. The second match will take place at Reading on May the 24th and this is the final season that this system of playoffs will be used as from next season it will all come down to 
who goes to the line first. And finally, Japan's city of Kyoto hosted the Rugby World Cup 2019 pool draw earlier today. England are with France and Argentina in Pool C. Ireland and Scotland are in Pool A and Wales are in Pool D with Australia. We'll be discussing the pools in more detail in just a few minutes' time. World Rugby Chiefs also voted unanimously to make it tougher for players to switch countries by increasing the eligibility rules from three to five years from 2020. And staying with Japan, breaking news that Jeff Parling is heading there on a short-term deal before joining an unnamed Super Rugby franchise in Australia. Craig. Command you Irish uh, on both counts, of course, be it World Cup or Championship. Good luck to all and sundry right. We have a really busy show for you tonight and we have a fantastic guest. He is one of the most decorated centres in international rugby. His hits, his carries are as strong and rugged as his jawline. He's so well qualified, he can diagnose the damage he does to the opposition. He's a lion, he's a harlequin. I'm delighted to say he is now the Wales captain, Jamie Roberts. What? Yeah. How, are How are you? Should he tea you? Good. Very well. See, you should start speaking Welsh now. You have a clue what we were saying then. I don't know what you're saying. The best time. You're so funny. Um, you're supposed to be in New York, weren't you, this week? Did you change your plans? No, I changed my plans. Did you not to come here, I take it? Yeah, to come here, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, we're going off on holiday tomorrow, so uh, lucky we got the bonus point uh, for Harlequins on the weekend up at Northampton, so uh, a couple of weeks off before we meet up with Wales. Nice. Uh, for the summer talk. Yes, let's talk about that then. Congratulations, Skipper. Thank you. How did you take Cheers. the news? Uh, look, it's exciting. I'm, um, you know, to start with, obviously disappointed with with what happened with the Lions, and uh, you know, it's it's having toured twice. I know the elation from uh, being named in the Lions squad. I know how much of a big thing it is for players, and uh, I was on the opposite end of, of the emotion this time round, and uh, you know, I was disappointed. And a day passed. I suppose you you react in a couple of ways. Um, I was I was pretty disappointed for about a day, and then I got up the following morning and. Uh, Flip the switch and you go again. You have to. You have to react positively. And uh, we've had a good end to the season with Harlequins, and obviously delighted to get then captain for the summer tour. And, and more than anything, I'm just excited for for the young lads, the young Welsh lads. We've got 13 uncapped players, and when you think back to when you were that age, how yeah. excited you are to pull on that red jersey. It's um, you know to be captain and and help those guys on is is a huge privilege. I can't was, believe you've not just been wondered, captain. Was there, before, was there any part though, any part of you that thought you know something? Can I take a summer off? You've been training hard, playing hard, studying hard as well. Mm. Uh, was the tour always the option for you? Yeah, I think so. Um, you never want to kind of turn down the opportunity to play for Wales, and I, you know, I've never that's never crossed my mind. And, and Rob McBride rang me two days after that Lions squad announcement, and he asked me, "Look, you know, do you want a tour?" And I never hesitated in, in saying yes. Um, it's uh, it's a huge honour to play for Wales and, and to tour. I've never. Um, towards you know the South Sea Islands before. I know we're playing Tonga in Auckland and Samoa in Apia, um, and then he asked me to captain the team, which was a you know a huge moment. You know more so for my parents than me. Uh, <laughs> oh, huge honour for my for my close mates and, and family. So um, yeah, look, huge excited by it, and, and hopefully we can do the business. Flats, um, I know you wanted to ask Jamie something. You want to do it on air, do you? Well, I don't see why not. More a medical thing, really, mate. It's just, I mean, <laughs> I didn't think now was really the time, What's but it's just, it's a groin issue and it's been diagnosed. <laughs> <this week. laughs> I'm worried it's more, more serious. Yeah, yeah, it come, I'd say it comes and goes. It hasn't gone yet. And I just, uh, perhaps off air in the break, you might have a little... Yeah, let's do it off air. It's actually not a rash. It's it started right, as a rash, but it's turned into its own thing. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, should, have you seen it then? Yeah, on Twitter. Medi Twitter. Oh. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little <laughs> special place we've got. Carry on. Let's go back to the Wales captaincy, because I spoke to Sam Warburton yesterday, and mm. this is what he had to say in your appointment. I'm so pleased with Jamie. To be honest, I'm surprised he hasn't captained Wales beforehand. He's that guy, and he's so influential around the squad. He's... He's been a massive leader ever since I've been involved in the team. He's been one of the go-to guys for me. 
He, he basically heads up what we have as our entertainment committee, and he's a great laugh. He does meetings on a Monday where he's just literally just taking the mick out of players. But he gets everything in stitches, and he's just great for team morale, and he's just a great guy to have around. Great squad player, great person, obviously a great player. So, um, Thurry deserves his, his captaincy. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, look, I mean, <laughs> return, the, return the compliment, actually, for Sam, uh, you know, for me, for, for him to captain the Lions for a second time around is, you know, a massive, massive honour for him. Um, and a very special guy, and, and certainly a guy when, when I was um, probably three or four years into my career at the Blues, he was coming through the academy, um, and he knew from a young age he was, a, he was a special player, a guy who leads by example on the field, and I wish him the, the very, very best in New Zealand. Um, yeah, if, he, if he plays at his best, the Lions have got a great opportunity. But you strike me as quite similar personalities, actually, because you're both quite measured and calm, am I right? Uh, no, maybe on screen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing guns. Amazing guns. No, look, he's, he's a Cardiff lad. Uh, there's not many of, of us actually who've, who've gone on to play uh, play Test rugby. Um, you know, I grew up in Thornhill. You grew up in Rabina, which is you know within half a mile from each other. So, um, and it's great to see him doing so well. So. Good. Um, let's talk Rugby World Cup draw this morning, of course. We'll start with Pool D, if you don't mind, and that's Wales Pool. Um, tasty enough, Australia in there again. You had them last time out, but no England, Georgia this time. Big physical contest from them, of course. Yeah. What do you make of it? Uh, first of all, uh, we play Georgia in November uh, for the first time, actually. So that's going to be a nice little uh, taste, a very physical side, and a team who are progressing very quickly. And so give them another two years exposure at this level. They're going to be a dangerous side come the World Cup. Australia, we all know what happened in 2015. They're a team who love to peak for World Cups, and we'll come to the other pools in a bit, but Australia are a team who pride themselves on World Cup and are always around the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. Um, Oceania won, whether that'll be Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, we faced Fiji in the World Cup in 2014, well, 2015 on a four-day turnaround, which was brutal, let me tell you. <laughs> um, and we have a playoff win, I'm not sure who Yeah, you do, you have a playoff, uh, Ameri I think, Americans. I think it's one of the American yeah, yeah. teams yeah. as well. So, Look, competitive group, um, and we'll see. Actually, a very physical group. That's the theme of your group, isn't it? There'll be big physical contests there. Um, Pule, uh, Benny, what do you make of that? It's, I have to be honest with you, Ireland and Scotland will be happy, ha happy enough, I would have thought. Yeah, they will, Irish. but they will know what happened to South Africa mm. in, in, in England. And with it being in Japan, it's a country that just gets... So, so when South Africa were beaten by Japan, there were a million viewers watching in Japan. The following week, when they played again, there were 20-odd million viewers watching. And that, that is the sort of passion that I think a home World Cup will bring. And they'll be under a lot of pressure themselves, Japan, to perform. But they tend to be a nation that do pretty well when they're under pressure. And, and you never know. You know, you, you think of what Eddie Jones started. Um, Jamie Joseph is going to carry that on. And you don't know in two years' time what they're going to be like. But certainly, I think that they'd be pretty happy with the group. Um, let's move on to Pool B, then. Um, oh, look at that one. That's the first time ever flats New Zealand South Africa have been in the same World yeah. Cup pool. Yeah, it's savage. And I think Brutal. they're the one team that New Zealand... No, nobody wants to be in a group with New Zealand because, you know, they're, they're kind of miles ahead of everyone at the moment. And my only hope for that group is that you kind of know which two teams are going to go through, but I just hope genuinely that South Africa find a way over the next season and a half mm. to pick themselves up and sort of return to something like the team we naturally expect them to be and the team they should be. So I hope they can make some changes back there pretty quick. And yes, challenge New Zealand, but more than that, when they go through, because you, like, you expect they will actually challenge in the knockout stages. I completely disagree. I want South Africa to go on a sharp decline. Because <laughs> if, if it goes on form, Ireland will be playing them in the quarterfinal. But um, let's look at the final pool then. And 
I mean, what does England have to do to get a, to get a decent pool? Benny, it's tough again, isn't it? It is, but you know, people are saying, you know, it's another group of death like last time. But actually, when you saw mm. Australia and Wales come out last time, I think it was a little bit more fearful. But having said that, France are just starting to get things back together. They're getting some good younger players coming through. That it seems like some of the arguments between the French Federation and the Ligue Nationale are, are starting to come to a head in some capacity. So you never know that uh, you know, they will probably keep getting better and better. Argentina, actually maybe playing in the championship will help them, not only because of the standard of rugby they're playing, but a World Cup's very different to a championship. You're not playing the same team the following week if you lose. You don't get another opportunity, which means it tends to be a bit more pressure-laden. Uh, certainly England will feel under pressure. And in a high-pressure uh, game, Argentina play the right sort of rugby to, to, to pull off a, a, what would still be an upset, um, but not as much an upset as it might have been six years ago. Well, our cameras were in Japan this morning and we got to have a word with Eddie Jones amongst uh, others. This is what they had to say. People who drew, drew the balls out did a great job because I think they're very even competitive groups and that's what you want in the group stage. You know, the, the top eight teams will go through from that and, yeah, we're very excited by our group. We've got two very good teams in there in, in France and Argentina, both of whom we know well. Um, so we've got two years now to make sure we're bulletproof against those two teams. I think it's very hard to um, assess where teams are going to be in two years' time. For example, I think the, the upward curve that Japan have taken in recent times, they, they got very close to beating Wales in the Millennium Stadium last autumn. Um, and obviously their, their heroics in the last World Cup were pretty spectacular. What we will say is to have the opportunity to play against the host nation in the World Cup is a fantastic thing to do and to have the ability to do it. So please for that. I think it gives us a great opportunity to say that we've done something in life and in such a unique uh, circumstance. I think it's a competitive group. Um, we're pretty happy with it, really. I mean, um, yeah, with Australia, sort of, we get them again. But um, you know, with, with Georgia, it looks like you know potentially um, Fiji or Samoa, um, and maybe one of one of uh, USA or Canada. So look, it's it's competitive and it's going to be tough enough. But I think we're we're pretty happy with um, how it how it's uh, turned out. It's going to be a good World Cup, it is, there, yeah. isn't it? Brilliant. Um, quick word, Flats, on the residence, residency rules. You mentioned there yeah. in the news that World Rugby decided to change it from three years to five years. What do you make of it? I, I like the decision. I just think, in short, you know, it's very, it's sort of more complicated, always more complicated than you might think. But actually, I just think three years is too short because, apart from anything else, it's it's got one contract. So someone can come to say England or Wales, and they can they can qualify after one contract. So I'm either going to play international rugby after three years, or if they're not going to pick me, I'll go somewhere else and earn some more money and try and qualify there. So you, you could almost qualify for three or four different countries throughout your career. So I think stretching it out to five represents something more like a proper commitment to that country mm -hmm. to sort of come and stay at least for, you know, at least for a, you know, a, a significantly more significant period of time. So I like the rule, and I, you know, I wonder if they might stretch it out a bit further in years to come. Well, I spoke to Gus Pichot about this a few weeks ago. If he had it his way, he would have gone 10 years. It seems yeah. they found a middle ground between the two. It's going to be five. This is what Gus had to say this morning. The most important thing was the, the, the international game. Uh, it, it didn't felt right that anyone could come into a country just a couple of years and just sing the national anthem or represent the, the, the jersey. We, we thought that was a little bit confusing. Uh, on the other side, for the smaller nations, uh, that the players were picked as project players, to just uh, because a country has more money than uh, or are more powerful, they could go to countries like Fiji or, or some parts of South Africa and just take the players 
on an economical advantage and just play for the national team, I think that's wrong. That, that means that you're taking advantage of the, of the weaker countries, and, and, and that's, that's completely wrong. Okay, back to Premiership action then. And so we came to round 22, the final round of the regular season with so much still to be decided in the top four European places up for grabs, playoff spots there for the taking. It really was, in every sense, a Super Saturday. And here's how it all panned out. For 15 minutes, the Exeter Chiefs were top of the table as the Wasps game kicked off a little bit later on. But it was Wasps top of the pile, both in 84 points, but Wasps have two more wins and that's what gave them the top spot. Saracens and Tigers, their 13th success in the semi-final. That's absolutely outrageous. Bath, they'll be disappointed they didn't make top four. They do have top-tier European rugby next season, as do Harlequins. Jamie Roberts absolutely thrilled by that one. Really close game at the end. Fantastic stuff. Northampton Saints currently in seventh, currently in that play for European rugby next season. But don't forget, if Gloucester win the Challenge Cup, which you can see live on BT Sport on Friday night, they will take that playoff spot and it will be a really wasted season for the Saints. They've had a tough all year, haven't they? And Bristol are down as either Yorkshire Carnegie or London Irish will be promoted next year. And here we go. There you have your semi-finals. We will be live at Sandy Park on Saturday, 20th of May at quarter to two. For Exeter, they face the reigning league champions. Will they still be reigning European champions though at that stage? We'll soon find out this weekend, of course. And then straight after proceedings in Den and Devon, we'll head to Coventry for Wasps against Leicester. Both matches on BT Sport 1 HD and 4K UHD. Where are you going? I will be at Exeter. Yeah, me too. Ah, yeah, see, see you there. there. I can't wait to see you. <laughs> I know, it's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be great. It'll be, it be great. Be Seriously, and all these, these are all, you're all extra Chiefs fans, right? Are you? Could you get a ticket? No. No, no. no. Should have used your arm. <laughs> It'll be bouncing. It'll be bouncing. Um, guys, let's uh, speak about wasps then, because they've topped the table, I think, since. Is it Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve? It would have been gut-drenching for them had they not secured a home playoff spot, Ben. They've been superb all year, the brand of rugby they've been playing, particular how Cipriani and uh, Gopeth have combined, mix of sort of two different tens, but playing together in the same side more often than not. Um, the question now will be, as you go into knockout rugby, we heard just an interview last week with Elliot Daly saying, we might just have to temper some of our attacking flair. Mm. And we were thinking, well, that's what's got you there. Is yeah. that the right thing to do? But you can understand why in a high-pressurised game. So, funnily enough, I think no-one from Leicester would, would admit to it in public, but I think they might actually prefer to go to Wasps rather than go into an arm wrestle game with Exeter or, or Saracens because they might, they might fancy if they control the style of game against Wasps, they've actually got a chance. And we saw them win in the last game uh, of last season at the Rico as well. So I just wonder whether Leicester might have preferred that game, though Matt O'Connor really definitely wouldn't it? admit it in public. No. Yeah. Um... All these guys are from Somerset, obviously. I, I should mention, you've all just been promoted, haven't you, Morganians, up to Somerset 1. So give me a round of applause for that. So well done. We only lost one game this season. One game. Um, the Chiefs are on this unbelievable unbeaten run at the moment. Uh, was it seven or eight games on the bounce? They've won with try bonuses as well. Yeah. Uh, we'll start with you, Flaps, on this one. I mean, they, they, you feel are a really rounded, informed team going into these semis. Yeah, I think it's doubly impressive when you consider the start to the season they have where they just could, they could barely get a win, they could barely scrape a point together. And everyone's panicking except the guys at Chiefs. And I think now you look at them and you think when they first came up, they had a great set piece, they played with a bit of tempo, perhaps not the control. Now they seem to, if you look, you try and find a weakness in the exit of Chiefs and it's pretty tough. It's pretty, every time they get the ball, they're going to go at you and go at you, but they're not 
actually reckless. They're just relentless. And I think Benny's exactly right. Tigers would never admit it, but you'd much rather go to Wasps because you'd feel more confident of scoring points against Wasps, I think, than you might do against Chiefs or Saris. But they're a fabulous side and they're every bit good enough to go and win it. At Quinns, Jamie, congratulations. You Thank lost. You. you hung on to the losing bonus point, though, yeah. which um, guarantees you Champions Cup rugby next season. And I was reading something that John Kingston has said, you know, it was good to have something of substance at the end of the season because it has been a season of change and adjustment for you guys, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been difficult. Look, Saturday, I don't think I've ever celebrated a loss like that. <laughs> um, the lads were absolutely delighted to get the losing bonus point. We knew from the outset that's all we needed. And when Northampton were hammering our line in that last five minutes, actually seeing the desperation from the lads in defence is sometimes more pleasing as a player. Um, when you see lads around you putting their bodies on the line, that's sometimes more pleasing than scoring, you know, fantastic 70 metre Do you throws, think it makes so. a difference to whether you can recruit players, whether you're in the Champions Cup or not? I think so. I think uh, players want to come to a club which are playing the highest standard of rugby, and, and that's in Europe. Um, and in the top two of Europe in the Champions Cup. So for us, it was we set up goals at the start of the season. That was the bare minimum we wanted to achieve. We knew it was a year of transition uh, with John Kingston coming in as, as director of rugby. And, and we've achieved that. So it's next year now it's, it's important we, uh, we kick on. Um, we want to win the Premiership. And that, and that has to be a goal next season to get in that top four. But I think the last three or four weeks, if we can play with that desperation, um, for most of the majority of the season next year, we, we've got a great chance of winning something. And it's not a distant memory, the last time Harlequins won the Premiership, only 2012, of course, that final against Leicester Tigers, three years after Bloodgate, what a rebuild from Conor O'Shea, fantastic, they beat Leicester, 30 points to 23 in a gripping final. Let's uh, just remind ourselves of what that was like all those years ago. For me, probably the biggest memory of that day was when we left the stoop, it was a walkover. I've got goosebumps just thinking about it now, it's insane. Rows and rows of people, flags, shirts, a lot, you know, I think it really inspired everyone. But having the fans just pave our way over the A316, over the bridge, down to the Golden Line Gate, into the change rooms, that was special. That was something that stayed with me forever. So I hope you're all excited about the huge weekend of European rugby coming your way. On Friday night we get going, it is the Challenge Cup final between Gloucester and La Rochelle. That's on BT Sport 2, we're on air from 7pm. All the gang are going to be there for that one. We're up in Edinburgh, big build-up and uh, hopefully a big result for Gloucester. Of course, if they win that, they get into the playoffs for the Champions Cup next season. And then on Saturday, it is the Champions Cup final between Claremont. They've suffered so many times over the years, losing out in the final hurdle against Saracens, the reigning champions. We're on air from 4pm, BT Sport 2. So much to look forward to. We're going to be talking about all those games uh, over the next while, but uh, let's finish by looking back at round 22 of the Premiership uh, and just the season in general. It was, yeah. it was a really good finish, wasn't it? The tightest end to a season in 10 years, I believe. Yeah, and I'd really like to talk about Leicester, actually, because we've spoken about you know certain teams with a bit of upheaval this season, and they've had a real roller coaster season behind the scenes. So for them to, to finish up in the playoffs, what, for, like you said, was it the 13th consecutive season? It was pretty impressive, Flat. Yeah, it's kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, it's kind of unbelievable actually. And when you think what they've been through as a club this season, so they first of all, they just weren't playing that well for sort of whole swathes of this season, and they they sort of talked a good game and said we're going to fight back. Lots of people believe them. Lots of people thought this is the year they're not going to make it. And you lose someone like Richard Cocker. It's not just your director of rugby getting moved on. That happens from time to time. But he was kind of by that point 
Mr. Leicester Tigers, apart from Ben. Uh, so, like, <laughs> M M Mr. Leicester Tigers. So, that's enormous. That's all some of those players have ever known is his way and his way of doing things um, and following his orders, as it were. So, that's a massive change to absorb and still qualify for the top four, considering the quality of opposition, considering the teams that have performed so well this season. So, I think that says a huge amount about what Richard Cockrell and others have done over the years. People talk a lot about culture and all that sort of stuff. What does it actually mean? What it means is you have the ability to survive, even thrive when the chips are down. And Leicester have shown they're an incredibly resilient club, so everyone there should be really, really proud. Yeah, I've got to correct myself. I keep saying La Rochelle. It's, of course, Stad. It's just I booked a hire car from La Rochelle <laughs> Airport for my summer holidays this year. It cost me an arm and a leg. It's still bothering me. Yeah. Carry on. Are yeah. you serious? Yeah, it's cost me a fortune. Oh Renault Scenic. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Good car, though. Great right, car. Uh, yeah, I'm joking. 1,600 quid for 10 days. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I am exhausted today. You, you, you haven't I'll stopped talking. You have Genuinely. Genuinely, you have. Okay, we spoke to some of the Leicester Bloody Renault Scenic, though. It's not like it's a decent... Oh, my gosh. Let's hear from the Leicester boys. We've lost three coaches, and I, to be honest, I don't know another team that could do that and still be where we are. So uh, we probably would like to finish a bit higher up the table if uh, some of the Christmas results went our way and didn't do too well in, uh, in the European games. But um, yeah, we've definitely found our feet now, and I'm not going to say we're a different team, but we're, defi we're definitely gelling better now. Leicester being sort of niggly Leicester, we're into the semi-final uh, by hook or by crook, and uh, yeah, we're uh, we're looking forward to it. You know, less is all about winning trophies, and we like to put ourselves into that position. Obviously, uh, with an Anglo-Welsh uh, trophy in the uh, in the cabinet already, we're looking to uh, push on from that. But obviously, what's the recall will be a tough, uh, tough opposition. Uh, Leicester in it again, unbelievable, really. Yeah, I think sort of a couple of the comments there. The, the, the players deserve a, a huge amount of credit for ga galvanising together, uh, as has been mentioned in, in tough times. I think probably. The, the thing that Ellis Genge said there, we let ourselves down in Europe. That was probably the, the, the big costly moment. Leicester aren't happy with being in the, in the playoffs every year. They want to be winning the Premiership and they want to be the, the best team in Europe. And, and um, you know, part of the, the management of, of trying to bring uh, the right person to help you do that is getting the timing right so that it can happen in the future and you're not letting things slip even further before someone comes in and they've got a bigger job to do. Um, I think one of the great stories of the Premiership this year, JB, has been Newcastle. I mean, they almost made top six. What a turnaround and the style of rugby they're playing as well. And also, the signings for next season. Do you feel they're now a top six side? That should be their realistic target every year. That has to be the goal next year. I think uh, who they've recruited this... Look, difficult side to beat in Newcastle. As a player, you go up there, obviously they're the artificial surface. Teams aren't used to playing on that surface and they're a very tough side to beat. But you look at their signings, uh, moving ahead next year, Toby Flood, very experienced, I think a 60 mm. cap international player, people forget that. You know, Toby Flood's a very, very experienced player and having experience playing in France now, that'll you know, add another string to his bow. Uh, Mermoz, top player, DTH van der Merwe, top player, Josh uh, Matavese, they played in Wales. Part of it though is what Dean's really clever at is, is bringing in those players that are really good but very underrated. So the guys at the top of that list, we've all heard of, we know they're brilliant players and, and, and have been international players. But actually he's got a lot of stardust in that team already and what he just needed was a little bit more of that strength in depth in the people that are going to fight for the Newcastle cause and I think they might well be top six yeah. next year. And, and players, they're not going to lose to international yeah. duty as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's yeah. crucial. And that, you know, yeah. When you see the sides who are fighting at the top of the Premiership, they don't lose too many. Uh, Bristol, obviously, relegated back to the Championship. No playoff system next season. One word answer flat. <laughs> no difficult I can't for you. do those. Uh, yeah, we'll try. Um, <laughs> <Both>. we'll, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. We'll, we'll make it back up, yeah. do you think? 
Yes. There you go. Thanks. See, easy. <laughs> Look how easy that was. Right, wasn't it? That was so easy, Thank wasn't you. it? That's yeah. easy. On the subject of that, um, let's talk about the uh, Aviva Premiership Player of the Month. Um, he's been absolutely outstanding at the back end of the season. Uh, Tolupe Falatau, uh, what a player this guy is. Uh, Jamie, obviously you know him well. Um, a couple of his highlights here, but uh, just how good is this guy? Look, Tolupe, I think he's had uh, injury frustrations this year. And certainly leading up to the Six Nations, um, you know, he shrugged his knee quite a bit, so couldn't really, uh, you know, hit top flights uh, during the Six Nations. But look, this, this guy, when he's fully fit, it's Because Vunapola has been amazing as yeah. well. Could Gats play him at six and Vunapola at eight, do you think? I think so. Uh, I mean, Salupe, as a rugby player, I haven't played with many better players who offer the all round game in the back row. But surely the only question mark over him playing at six is line out, and he could chuck him in a line out easy. You know, the yeah. size of the props these days, they get him up. He's, you see clips like that and it reminds you what a player he is. Just fabulous. God, what a back row that would be. I know, that would be amazing, word. wouldn't yeah. it? Okay, so before we move on from the Premiership, is another quick reminder of when and where you can catch the semi-finals. There you go for you, Exeter. We'll welcome Saracens to Sandy Park, Saturday, 20th of May, quarter to two. It all kicks off there, BT Sport 1HD and 4K UHD. And then after proceedings are done there, we'll go to Coventry, where Wasps will welcome the Tigers. Quarter to five, that one, again, on BT Sport 1HD and 4K UHD. Uh, right, should we, talk about, uh, should we talk about Jamie's team that he's gone on tour with? Uh, let's have a look at this Welsh squad. Um, who should we be looking out for? Uh, and what is this tour all about? Because you feel the England tour, it's a bit of a fact finder. Scotland, they want to find out more about the players. The coaches want to learn more about players they don't know so much about. What's the Welsh tour all about? Yeah, it's about winning test rugby matches, first and foremost. <laughs> We've got two games and we want to win. Um, and so certainly one eye on the present. But also, I think... In, as soon as this summer tour is over, everything, uh, it's the two years leading into the World Cup. And so a lot of these players now, first of all, you know, the younger players get to have a taste of the international environment, get to know what it's like at that intensity, at that, you know, that pace. And more so, the players, um, you know, maybe players who've been around for three or four years, haven't had too many starts behind the guys who've gone away with the British and Irish Lions, now have to take responsibility you know they're going to be the guys next up into the jersey and they have to lead the team now so a uh, great opportunity for, for everyone but first and foremost we're, we're there to win um, there's no doubt about that and you know the lads um, will be made definitely aware of that from the first time we meet up in terms of battles within that squad Ben who yeah you I, I mean um, I think for, for me uh, the battle for 10 will be really interesting Sam Davis has been playing really well Owen Williams First shot maybe at a cap. Uh, you've got Anscom as well there that can play 10. Uh, but the guy I'm really looking forward to seeing in an international jersey and I hope he starts is Thomas Young. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, let's have a quick look at the Scotland squad. They have a really bizarre tour because they've got, they're playing every Sunday, three consecutive Sundays. They start off in Singapore against Sicily. Then they go to Australia and then they go to Fiji. But, um, you know, a couple of new names in there. The Glasgow prop Darcy Ray is in, Edinburgh hooker George Turner is in, and Glasgow centre Nick Gregg. Um, new faces there, that's good. Um, this is about maintaining momentum, though. Mm, Scotland exactly. have got momentum. They've had a real disappointment up there that they haven't got more Lions representatives when they feel they should. This is about keeping that momentum so they go into next season with the same sort of run. And actually, they're, they're a real force at the Six Nations, but people think could win it. Let's not forget Gregor Townsend, his first coach in charge, obviously turns mm. down a role with the Lions yeah. um, to make sure he, he beds in you know, with the new Scotland score straight away. So a lot of these guys have played under, under Gregor as well, so they'll know how to react best to him. 
Right, since we're on the subject of Wales and Scotland, should we have a look at the Pro 12? Let's do that. I think we need to. And in the Pro 12, it's been a, a good old season for Munster and Leinster, of course, who finished first and second. They will be up against third and fourth place Scarlets and Ospreys in the semi-finals. Ulster finished just shy of the playoffs in fifth, with Glasgow some way off their normal pace in sixth. Though still holding on to that Scottish Champions Cup place, of course. At the other end of the table, an away victory for Treviso against Deborah made sure that they would be the Italian side playing Champions Cup rugby next season. The result meant that they also finished above the Newport Gwent Dragons, whose shareholders yesterday ratified an agreement that the Welsh Rugby Union would assume operational control of the club on the 1st of July. In the semi-finals, to get that 20th Champions Cup place, Cardiff Blues in 7th will meet Stad and Connacht in 8th will take on either Gloucester or Northampton, depending, of course, on the result of the Challenge Cup final on Friday. Do you know something? All, all the semi-finals in the Pro 12 so far have been won by the home team. In the mm -hmm. Premiership, it's 20 of the 25. The Pro 12, all of them. Home yeah, advantage, huge. Bias, isn't it? It is huge. What's next, actually? Uh, we're going to talk about a bit, a bit of Welsh, uh, Welsh rugby here and you both went Dragons because <laughs> yeah, they've had an interesting right. week, haven't they? You know more about this than I do because well, you've been no, like, you, know, you know more about this because you were a, a Dragons or a Newport Gwent Dragons supporter when you were a child. What, I was what a Newport supporter. You were a Newport Black supporter. Black numbers, yeah. Okay. My, dad, uh, my dad grew up as a, a season ticket holder for Newport for many years um, and obviously when I was a kid... He used to go down uh, the Argus Terrace in Newport and then got selected for Cardiff schools in the 15s and uh, Never look back. switched allegiance signs of the Blue and Blacks. But um, What do you make of it, though, Jane? What do you make of the, the WRU takeover? It's in the interest of the best interest of, of Club Rugby in Wales and ultimately the, uh, the people have decided and, and uh, the WRU have taken over the, the region. And I think, you know, with, with everything that's happening... Um, in the club game in Wales, it's a great move, um, you know, going forward. But don't you think, if they're kind of edging towards the Irish model, where they're all under the IRFU control, surely they've got to just go for it. Yeah, and it, it kind of seems a little bit piecemeal at the moment, mm -hmm. and they're only, what are there, 15 or 16 players centrally contracted, mm -hmm. something like that. So not all of them, but I think well, let's not castigate them too aggressively for not having everyone contracted centrally yet. There are guys with existing contracts that need sorting out, and let's give them time to get into next season. But I agree totally, something had to be done. Welsh Club Rugby should be wonderful, and it is in a right state. So they had to try something... There are some bright people at the top of this, so let's hope it works. Well, let's talk about a league that never gets itself in any kind of contractual state, <laughs> and that's the top 14. It all finished up with La Rochelle well ahead, as they've been for the most of the season. They go straight to the semi-finals alongside second place Carmont. The playoffs now will ascertain which other two teams will be in the semi-finals. La Barrage will be between teams placed third to sixth. Therefore, Toulon will play Cast, and Montpellier will play Racine 92 to try and make it on to the next stage. On the European front, Stade Francais in seventh enter the playoffs semi-finals against Cardiff to see if they can get the final Champions Cup place. Incredibly, Toulouse, yes, Toulouse, finished the season in 12th place. They will not be playing top-flight European rugby for the first time ever. And we say au revoir to Grenoble and Bayonne, who will be playing in Division 2 next year. It should be noted that Stade Francais have lodged an appeal against Montpellier for fielding an eligible player. That could change things. It could mean that Stade jump up a place. There you go. So Claremont finished top of the top 14 season, second place, sorry, not top, and can look forward, of course, to the top 14 playoffs. But before then, they have a small matter of a Champions Cup final against Saracens, which is taking place at the BT Murrayfield Stadium this Saturday. Live coverage will be on BT Sport, of course. Uh, there was heartbreak for Claremont two years ago when they finished runners-up to Toulon. They'll be wanting the title more than ever this time round. Such a great tournament, it really is. And uh, joining us from his luxurious home uh, over there near Claremont is David Stratley. 
Donnelly, who, of course, we've blamed for Claremont uh, this weekend. Formerly a Saracens player, you know what it's like both sides of the camp. How are you? How's life? Uh, very good, thank you. Yeah, um, as you say, getting ready for, for this weekend should be a, a hell of a match. Nice Talk. gaff you've got there, David, by the way. It looks very nicely decorated. There are bars on the window, though. Are you in prison? <laughs> 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 um, talk to us about the atmosphere and the mood in Claremont itself, with the public, with the fans. How much of a buzz is there about the place? It's massive. Uh, rugby's the lifeblood of Claremont. It's um, every game, every home game is a sellout, and... You just know, obviously, leading up to the big European games, it gets even more of a buzz. And obviously, before the Lyon game, that was crazy. And then, obviously, the final this weekend, so it's going to be amazing. And tell me, we make a lot of the emotional side of this final and the fact that Claremont have lost on a few big occasions. And uh, we won't say chokers, that would be unfair, but certainly nerves seem to have got to the team in the past. Uh, is that something that, that kind of sits in your mind? Are you, you trying disregard? <laughs> Well, it doesn't sit in my mind. Obviously, it's uh, Claremont's past, but um, I think obviously there's a lot of players who've been at the club for a long time, and I don't think it sits well with them. And uh, you can feel the uh, the pressure in every European game because it's the it's the one thing that's eluded Claremont, and I think it's the it's the one thing that needs to be won before Claremont really start enjoying the rugby again in Europe. I was reading this week, you were saying in an article that obviously Saracens are the best team in Europe and they're going to be very difficult to beat on the weekend. We know this. So, so how do you beat them? What have you been looking at this week? Because, I mean, obviously you've got the inside track. Yeah, I mean, Saracens are a brilliant team. They do the basics very well. I think every top team does the basics well. And I think to do that, you've got to match them. Your kicking game has got to be very good. You've got to play in the right areas of the pitch and you kind of got to nullify their threats, their kicking threats in... Um, you know, in and we I think they're the key key players for them. So it's it's getting the pressure on those guys, and obviously then uh, doing what Claremont can do well and attacking well. Um, talk to us about your charity game coming up. Yeah, uh, myself and Matt Stevens um, run the Sevens and City Festival, and uh, we've been asked by the RPA to run an exhibition match for the uh, Lift the Weight charity. So yeah, we're really looking forward to that. We've got some great players going out and playing. A lot of the old heads playing. Uh, Flats is going to play, but he's in a veto, I believe. So, um, no, it should be good. It should be a great turnout for the festival, yeah. Good stuff. Well, look, best of luck this weekend. Let's hope it's a fabulous occasion. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And uh, our cameras will be there. I'm sure we'll grab a word at the end of the day. David Strettel, ladies and gentlemen. See you Saturday. Owen Farrell, who's been at the very heart of the Saracens team for quite a few years now. He will be the heart of the Saracens team against Claremont in the Champions Cup final this weekend. So we sent Oz off for a wee chat with them. About to go on your second Lions tour. Over 50 caps for England. Um, the second highest English point scorer. When you're growing up in Billinge, <laughs> did you think this is exactly where my career pathway was going to take me? Uh, no, definitely not. I guess when I was when I was younger, all I wanted to do was play for Wigan. Were you always going to be a rugby player? Did you think? I think, um, you know, not just me. Anybody from Wigan grows up wanting to wanting yeah. to be a rugby player. I was, I was I was the same as everybody else. Um, all everyone does in the school playground is play rugby. Who was, your, who was your favourite player in those days? Andrew Johns. Andrew Johns. Yeah. What sort of age did you start going down and joining in the group sessions and game oh. to touch? Oh. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> One thing I do remember is that whenever, whenever I would go down, no matter what age it was, if someone walked past and he had a ball and I'd pass it to him and they'd, they'd pass it me back, they'd, yeah. they'd, ask for a, they'd ask for a pass, I wouldn't let them leave. <laughs> I'd, just, I'd just keep chucking it back and 
I think they're all they're all trying to get out of there, and I was and I was stood there. You were the just, nose. Just being <laughs> annoying, yeah. Twelve-year-old nose yeah, kid for training. So. Yeah. Moving forward, then, obviously, been at Saris now for a long time, and this team has sort of grown up together. There's a lot of you that have a almost like a family feel, a responsibility to one another. Is that what it feels like within the squad? Definitely, yeah. Um, me, Jamie, Jackson, George, Will Fraser, have all been in the academy since we were 14, 15. I guess having them, them relationships and, and having these boys uh, all play so much now is, is, um, is, is massive to, to how you go about doing what you're doing. And having that group together and then being selected for the Lions, does that make it feel more special? Definitely. I mean, everyone here was chuffed for them. You could see from the cheering yeah. that everyone was jumping Billy up Billy was trying to keep a straight face. Yeah, he, got he said he was nervous. He said he was nervous. Of course so he was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've only ever been on one tour with my dad. How much fun do you have with your dad being there? And did he tell you, actually, before the team was announced? No. I always want to know. No. I'll be on the phone, Dad, please tell me, no. am I in the squad? Because I was going to book a summer holiday. No, he didn't tell me. Uh, I found out like everybody else. Um, when you're on tour or in camp, uh, or anything like that. There's not there's not much time that you get to spend as as, as father and son. Yeah. Um, there's not much time where you you snap out of that player coach thing and and get to talk about um, anything else. The only, the only thing you might say is make sure you ring your mum. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she won't speak to you. I've usually done something wrong. So um, no, it's it's mainly rugby, mate. There's always key individual battles when you go into any final. But I'm not going to talk about you and Lopez. I'm going to talk about David Strettle. How much of an impact do you think Stretz can have on this final? Oh, it depends how much space to give him. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously lethal. Um, Stretz has been on the inside, so yeah. he knows a lot of what you do. Yeah. Is that a bit of a worry? Uh, no, no. I, I don't think there's too much that's a, that's a secret here anywhere. It's, it's pretty simple how we, how we go about what we do. Um, we just try and tweak things for, for certain teams, but we, we, don't, we don't really change the way we play too much. Talk to you about the mindset of this season's final versus last season's final. We've talked about what we what we want the week to look like and feel like and, and going into it. So so it's about us it's about us making sure that that we do it and not just talk about it. Um, yeah. We want to go out there and put a performance in that we're, we're proud of. I think anybody anybody who watches us understands understands yeah. what what we do do. It's, it's you know but hopefully we do it do it that well that it's hard to stop. Okay, well good luck. Good luck for a few weeks and uh, hopefully you get a good holiday because you're going to need it after this next 10 weeks, mate. Well, what a mouth-watering clash it is when you get two of the biggest sides in Europe, if not the biggest two sides in Europe playing in the European final, you're going to get match-ups all over the field. But the area that I think might decide it is that midfield axis, the tens, the centres and they're actually quite similar statistically. We'll look at the tens first, yeah. the comparison between Cami Lopez and Owen Farrell. They're quite similar statistically. This, this playmaker balance tells you how much they do each time they receive the ball. So 64% pass, 63, 19-20 kick, and then 18-60 run. But it's not all about statistics, is it, Flo? No, it's not. You, you look at the metres made is quite a key one here. Uh, points, points scored, his goal kicking is kind of irrelevant because Lopez doesn't kick that much, but he makes roughly 50% more metres during a game than Owen Farrell. And I think that while Cami Lopez has got a huge amount of trust, sort of they're, they're pinning a lot of hope on Cami Lopez. I think that Owen Farrell, for me, we know more about him, of course, but for me, he sort of remains that model 10 in Europe because I think he... He's a, he's a player, Cami Lopez seems to feel the need to express himself during a game and show people how good he is. Owen Farrell doesn't seem to need to feel that. He seems absolutely to never get bored with doing the right thing time and time and again. If he looks great in the process, 
fine. But actually, he seems to be all about action and game plan, repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Doesn't mean he's boring. And that's a lovely example of Owen Farrell. He's not robotic. Yes, he follows a game plan. He also, more than ever, seems to have time on the ball now to be creative. He's a proper threatening 10. But in Cami Lopez, they seem to have found... They think they found that kind of linchpin at 10 to run their game. And in Brock James, they had a wonderful player for a generation, but he didn't quite do it when it counted at top, top European level. Cami Lopez, especially after that performance against Leinster where they beat them, they feel like he's the guy to stick in there, keep the structure and actually sort of, I don't know, kind of provide that stability that they've never really had. They've always had momentum and talent and power. They feel that this is the guy to take them to European glory. Do you think, because I sort of get the impression that although their stats are very similar now, they've almost come from two different places to, to come together. When Owen Farrell first burst onto the scene, as you said, he doesn't get bored sticking to the same rigid game plan. If that's what he's been told to do, he'll do it. He's got that ability now that we've you know, I've always said about George Ford to put hold on and wait, yeah. wait for the defenders to make the decision, and then put put people through. That sort of came more naturally to Camille Lopez, and maybe he yeah. had to rein that in a bit. Yeah, I think I think you're dead right, Ben, and I think Owen Farrell has developed his game. He really, really has developed it, and Camille Lopez has as well. Now he was kind of like the Lionel Boxis, all talent, but hey, can he actually repeatedly do the right thing, or is he going to have? kind of a, a brain freeze, a manic moment where he tries to show off a little bit. And the more you watch Camille Lopez, the less and less he seems to be showing off during games. He's got all the skill, all the talent. That has never been in doubt. What, what Claremont need is someone yeah, who parks their talent almost and just does the right thing. If his talent gets a chance to shine, then great. They need someone they can rely on to do the right thing every time. And I'm completely biased because I'm English and I want Saracens to win, <laughs> but I don't think anyone in Europe does that as well as Farrell. We'll see. Well, I guess the big thing is, is, is he on the front foot? Does he have that time to make those decisions? If Saracens do what they usually do and put a lot of pressure on him, get him going backwards, that's going to play into Saracens' hands. If we look at the centre pairings now, I mean, this is a fantastic centre pairing, isn't it? They haven't got Wesley Fofana, which is a big, big loss, but when you've got Rougerie coming into the side, you can deal with it. He's probably the most experienced player in Europe, actually, at the moment. 17 seasons, I think, with Claremont. It's like royalty down there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, down at Claremont. But for me, Lamarat has been a huge influence for Claremont this year. Guy who's, you know, progressed immensely, I think, the last two or three years. He's always been a strong carrier. He's always been a strong defender. But the way Claremont bring him into the game, the way he carries, not just offset piece, but he tries to get involved as much as possible. His upper body strength is pretty phenomenal. If you, uh, if, if you don't, if you don't make, you know, make your tackle sticks, he can be uh, very dangerous. His support lines are pretty clever, um, and he's pretty sharp as well. So um, he's a good player. And look, Claremont will want to get this guy involved as much as possible. He's a, he's a catalyst for them moving forward. We talk about Lopez playing on the front foot. They get this guy involved as many touches on the ball as possible. That's, gets what, up on his that's what I like about him, his, his work rate. He constantly wants to be on the ball. So we've seen he's just carried there. He's back in. I want another go. And I think that's why when we go back to the stats, you'll find that he makes those extra metres because everyone's metres are, are fairly similar. But this dominant collision, the, the gain line success, when he gets that second touch on the ball after he's just carried and the defensive line's um, lost its structure, yeah. then he can get that extra metre. Yeah, and he knows how good he is at carrying. And but he, so he's not going to be that guy yeah. to just chill out in the back. But he's going to be facing hold the width. one of the best defensive centres exactly. in Europe at the moment. Yeah, without a doubt. And it, what these stats don't show is tackles missed. Mm. And, uh, yeah. you know, if we, if we could see that, for me, Saracen's midfield, Brad Barrett and Marcelo Bosch, probably two... Um, two players who couldn't be more similar, really. Uh, sorry, dissimilar. Yeah. Uh, Brad Barrett is the rock. He's the go-to guy carrying in the, in the tight quarters. Doesn't miss many tackles. Um, he's a defensive rock for Saracens and a huge part of the way they play. 
Marcelo Bosch, they want to get this guy in space. Look at the metres made. Um, once Sarri's playing on the front foot, Owen Farrell knows he can get the ball to this guy in space. Great fend, runs great support lines, and has scored quite a few of you know, really good tries and for Sarri. Actually, we, we talk about the work rate of Chris Ashton coming off his wing. Mm. It's often what he creates off the back of mm. it after Ashton's shipped the ball on that gives them those metres on the outside. Yeah. But I, I think you're right. I think... As, as the glue in a tight final, he is exactly who you want. He pulls everyone else together, makes sure you don't get those gaps in the defensive line, and he is vital to Saracens if they're going to win it on, on Saturday. So there you go. We think that it's going to be all solved in the midfield, and it's going to go a long way to deciding which team's going to come out on top on Saturday. I cannot wait until Saturday. And the, the guys there were talking about Owen Farrell, and we've just heard that Owen has won England Player of the Year at the RPA Awards that's taking place right now over in Battersea Evolution. So huge congratulations to Owen. We're going to talk a, a bit of Challenge Cup. Imagine designing a trophy, by the way, that you can't drink out of. It's kind of... And have a go. You, know, yeah. <laughs> you can knock a hole in that ball at the top. It's been done before. <laughs> they just repair it for you. They're it's really angry, then they just fix it. That's <laughs> what happens. Well, you knock the top off. See you yeah. get on. Um, um, so the challenge kept on Friday. Friday night. Um, two teams that um, have been in a bit of turmoil. Uh, ben, what are we expecting from that final? Um, it's funny because I, I think probably... Uh, Gloucester have had disappointments of, of the takeover not happening, uh, whereas <laughs> Stade Francais, the players, have had the opposite of it. Um, you know, the, it, it's funny, though, how these things can sometimes galvanise the team and you know, dreadful uh, happenings at Munster this year has galvanised the team. And it's almost the same that's happened with Stade Francais. You know, they, um, they were playing very poorly and when all the talk of the merger was going on, and then uh, I think they were 12th, were they, in the top right. 14, just, yeah. as the, just as the takeover fell through. And then they've kicked on and they've managed to qualify or get, get up to um, the seventh place. So uh, that's the difference between them before and after the, the failed merger. And um, I think their owner, uh, Thomas Severe, has been a, a little bit disappointed with them. And he's been fairly public about it, um, so saying that he can't believe the players have... Um, waited until the merger fell through till they actually started playing and he feels that they've wasted the last two seasons so but ben do you think that merger was ever going to happen or do you think it was a pr spin because a little part of me thinks that that was never never mm. going to happen and it's galvanized the fans it's galvanized the players probably in both teams oh, yeah. um mm. and so a little part of me thinks it was a bit of a Bit of a PR stunt. Oh, suspicious you were. I reckon, yeah. I reckon there's something in that. I reckon there's something in Who that. Who drove the merger? Was it Jackie Lanzaretti or was it Savari? This is the yeah, thing. The, the, fact, the fact that no one knew it was coming. I mean, how, how yeah. likely is something this enormous to happen between two multi-multi-million pound organisations and no one knows? I mean, you know everything now. Everything is leaked days and days before. Yeah. Nobody knew. I think, I think Jamie's onto something. And yeah. his, his bold claim that it was definitely fake. I think that's <laughs> well, it's also that. Having played at Racing, I've, I did two seasons of Racing, you, you, the rivalry between Racing Metro and, mm. and Stefan Francais is huge. Mm. Absolutely huge. And, and to, for them to merge would have been a, a huge shock. So mm. I think it was... It's not a competition that the French teams have always thrown all their weight at. Uh, we question it sometimes with the Champions Cup, certainly the Challenge Cup, not the case. They, they haven't really gone for it. But the importance of it this year for Stad, hugely heightened, would you say? Yeah, huge. I think what you find with the French sides is if they lose a couple of games in the pool stages, they tend to shelve it. 
Um, and so they'll send the academy mm. teams, they'll send second teams out for the rest of their pool games and know their focus is then on the top 14 because the top 14 is pretty brutal. It's a very competitive league um, and anyone can beat anyone, um, especially away from home. So I think once they, once they know they're in with a sniff of getting to the knockout stages, they start taking it seriously. And Stavron have, have played some fantastic rugby. I think they were quite lucky to beat the Ospreys uh, in Cardiff. And, uh, you know, the win against, win against Bath was pretty impressive. So it was going to be an interesting game. A stand have played some great rugby. Gloucester are really yeah. much vain form at the moment, are they? They look like a different side. Well, they're kind of... They're, um, there's this thing you're never allowed to say in our job, which is you never know which French team's going to turn up because it's the most unoriginal thing to say. So I'm not <laughs> going to say that. Uh, scrap, but, but with Gloucester, they're kind of a bit French at the moment in that sense. So against La Rochelle a couple of weeks ago in France, they were, they were sensational. I mean, the atmosphere there was fantastic. And defensively, that was as good a performance as I've seen from an English team this season. They were absolutely fantastic. And then they come to Bath last weekend and get absolutely shredded and torn apart. They didn't turn up. So I think there will be a feeling that they don't themselves... Remember Thierry Dusatois talking about the French team and he would say, well, we don't quite know until the game starts. We don't quite know. And I think with Gloucester, they, they really, really need a big start. And you always need a, French, a big start against the big, powerful French sides because one thing you do not want to give them is confidence and momentum. You want to knock that confidence and hold that momentum. And I think Gloucester, the first 20 minutes for Gloucester is going to be absolutely vital for their own confidence and to dent that of Stad. I think it's the opposite of what Jamie was just talking about there, that Gloucester, when they beat La Rochelle over there, almost shelved the league a bit and thought our best chance of, of, yeah. of qualifying is, is to, to go, away, go on and win this, this tournament. And that became their sole focus. Very difficult for them to get themselves back up for such a big game after winning away at La Rochelle, such who hadn't been beaten at home. Yeah. Such a big win from the Lower Show. Mm. Um, just in case difference. we get any emails in from Irish fans, hey, Mike Gibson at 68 actually caps for the Lions. I know it's the first 68. thing they teach you in Irish schools. 68. Mike Gibson's mm. Lions caps, uh, tarmacking, and uh, how to find leprechauns. Mm. First, these That's more Lions caps than all three of us put together. <laughs> 68. <laughs> well, it's, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. Yeah. That Unbelievable. Is incredible. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back again next week. See you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 